Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Good afternoon, everyone. Thanks very much, Jennifer, for that song. You know, it reminds me, growing up as a boy, as a young lad, there was a very popular program on the radio, and that was the theme song. So I always listen to that program, but I've never heard it played live by anyone. So thanks very much for that. It kind of just brings back some memories, just sitting there listening to it. It's good to be in Burlington. Nice place here, Jan, and the rest. Um, quite, um, you know, coming along Fairview Street, with all the hustle and bustle of traffic, it's like a little refuge here, you know. So it's, um, I was looking for a church building. I wasn't sure if it was a church building. So I drove past and I had to go all the way around. And when I got back, I realized it was neatly tucked. From the outside, it appears quite attractive. And inside, it's even more attractive. So I think it's a blessing that you've been able to secure uh, this building. So it's good to be here. I think I have a, I'm overdue, I've been overdue a visit here. But you know, it's always a first for everything. And my father always tell me that it's never too late for a shower of rain. I always um, remember that adage. So anything we do in life, there's always a first. And it's better to be here than not at all. Today I want to talk about a very serious subject. Because as we all know, Passover is coming up, and we are all in a state of preparedness. You know, history has a a way of, both biblical and secular history has a way of repeating itself. I tend to believe the, the biblical aspect is providential. Whereas the secular aspect sometimes may just be mere coincidence. Because some challenges that we face in the church today have been around for centuries. And they have happened. And it's like a vicious cycle. They've been repeated. Sometimes we do learn, but sometimes we don't. And you look at the history of Israel and you realize... That Israel just never learned a lot of things. They, 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 te- they repeated the, the errors of the past, of their forefathers. And you look in the scriptures and you see where even in the word of God, there are times when references are made to what their forefathers did. And how come you're doing this when your forefathers did that? Today I want to focus on a church, not in the Old Testament, but a church in the New Testament. And for us to draw our own lessons for that church, because there are some very embarrassing things that happen in that church. And you wonder, how how did they allow to put such embarrassment for Christians in the Bible that happened in a church? But these things are for 
for admonition and for us to learn. They are there for us to not to emulate but to educate us. And the church I'm talking about is the church at Corinth. The Corinthian church. I'll give you a little history about Corinth. It was destroyed in 146 BC. Then it was rebuilt in, 40, in 44 BC by Julius Caesar. So it, it, at that time it was a provincial capital in Rome. Somewhere, population somewhere between 100,000 and 700,000 people. A great metropolis. Very cosmopolitan, I can tell you that. It, in today's language, you could look at a, a kind of Los Angeles. It was the seed of immorality. Sexual immorality. Corinth. So you look at a kind of Los Angeles and what's coming out of Hollywood. That sort of thing. Worst of all, they had the Greek goddess Aphrodite. And she was the god of, of, of beauty and love. So there was a lot of immoral things that happened in Corinth. Very progressive. Have a very progressive economy. Because it, it lies in the, in the isthmus of, uh, surrounding the, that area where ships go into Italy and Asia. They had to dock there and move on. So there was commerce manufacturing it was the iron age so there were a lot of manufacturing of different stuff in Corinth so it was very progressive and as you know drawing from today's methods and, and today's practices when there is progress God is forgotten so there was this church that began in Corinth the apostle Paul was sent there by God and we're going to come to that later. Because it occupied a very important, the way it was written in scripture, it was very important to God. Maybe around 200 people at the time the Apostle Paul visited in AD, somewhere between 50 and 52. And he wrote back letters in 54 AD back to the church after his first visit. Because by then, the church at Corinth had become known as the troubled church. The troubled church. So we're going to see today, as we try, as we prepare for the Passover, we all should have, or we all should be aiming and examining always, as we should have been doing from in earlier this year, on how this body that we're going to partake of, how to, to discern that body and what it stands for, what it means for today and in the future. And by discerning, I mean that we all admit that we are sinners, we have all fallen short, and we all have all come short of the glory of God. But at baptism, when we take that vow before God, we're saying to Him, Yes. We have transgressed your laws, but now we're going to go and sin no more. We're going to go and sin no more. In 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen, Paul notes about discerning the Lord's body. 
when he wrote that letter to the church at Corinth. Because some terrible things was going on in Corinth. How could this ever happen in the church of God? This was not a false church. This was the body of Jesus Christ in Corinth. And today some of these things happen in the body. For sure. As I said, history has a way of repeating itself. The problems in Corinth were overwhelming and burdensome. Sexual immorality, divisions, pride, ego. They were plaguing the church. This was the church of the living God. Truth was taught here. But when you come under the influence, for example, Athens, the Greek capital, was only 50 miles away. And that was the seat of the holy goddesses you can think about. So naturally, Corinth would have been influenced. Ephesus was a little further away. Had a great temple. Diana of the Ephesians. But the fundamental question some of us may ask from time to time, how could God allow a church like that to stoop so low? In terms of the behavior of some of its members. When you read about these sins that occurred in, in Corinth, you shudder. You shudder. In Acts 18, verse 1, we're going to start there because we're going to see that God asked Paul to go to Corinth because he had not neglected the church and it was very important to him. Acts 18. Verse 9. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. So he appeared to Paul in a vision. Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city, in Corinth. So I want you to go there. And verse 11 tells us, he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among the people. Verse 21 tells us that he, he went to Ephesus, subsequent to Jerusalem, when he, where he wanted to observe a feast day, and I think it's Pentecost. But while he was in Ephesus, Trouble began at Corinth. Remember, he had gone there before, did what he had to do, and now was in Ephesus. But he had appointed, not really appointed, but there were some overseers of the church, Priscilla and Achaia. And so they sent back word to him about trouble in Corinth. Trouble in the body of Christ. First, he heard about the divisions. 
1 Corinthians 1 9 yes schisms in the body of Christ in the body of Christ yes schisms we won't go through all of the different um, problems because there are quite a lot but in chapter 5 it tells us they were when <laughs> you hear of these sins you wonder verse 5 chapter 5 verse 1 it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and that such fornication is as not so as is not so much as named among the Gentiles so okay it was largely the thing is that Corinth was a, a, a multicultural city people from all walks but also there were a large Jewish population there so they were adherents to at least to the law of God but now Paul is saying that these sins are not even named among the Gentiles because one was having his father's wife I think in this case it's a stepson what brethren in the church of God this was happening you know secular people will read this and get turned off and say I'll put it this way God forbid it happens in our church today. It will turn off a lot of people. Because they would ask, how, how can this happen in the body of Christ? Because you know what? People always try to be perfect before. When they're out there, they think nothing is wrong with what they're doing. It's okay. But when they come to church, they wake up to a new reality. So they do not expect things like this. To happen in the body of Jesus Christ. Yes, in the church. This was going on in the church. And so it was named in Paul's letter. A man have, having a relationship with his father's wife. Chapter 6, verse 1. Another problem again. And these things, one cannot deny, happening in churches today, whatever your so-called churches, whatever. They happen today in church, too. Hear this one. Chapter 1, verse 6. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? So people were carrying one another to court. In the church? In the church of God? Yes, it was going on. Here we're talking about 50 AD, not 2013, 14, 650 AD in the body, in the New Testament church. Not a false church, but the living church of God. They were carrying one another to court. Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by, by you, are you unworthy? 
to judge the smallest matters. You think brethren have problem, they would try to solve it among one another. But no, we are going to court. I'm going to, to take Ray to court. That was going on in Corinth. As I said, not a false church. The church of the living God. And these things are in the Bible, not for us to chuckle, but to, as I said earlier, and not to emulate, but to educate us. So as we are in this mood now for Passover, as we are, we are getting into this right frame of mind for Passover, we must ponder these, these educational experiences that brethren did there in the past. Of course, in the letter from Akia and, and Priscilla, there were problems concerning marriages as well. Um, chapter 7, verse 1 and 2 addresses that. Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman, nevertheless to avoid fornication. Let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have their own husband. Let the husband render, you know, etc. That was going on in the church too. They're touching one another in the body of Christ. That was going on. In chapter 8, 1, the question of foods, sacrifice to idol, was a problem in the church as well, in Corinth. And he addresses that. Spiritual gifts, ha. Huh. That was a big one. Spiritual gifts. What was happening? Brethren were, they were coming under the influence of what was happening down in Athens. The cosmopolitan and progressive, we are all, the, the philosophers, all the Greek philosophers, the universities were, were situated. All the goddesses, they reigned there. So naturally, Corinth, 50 miles away, would come under influence. So people were going there because there were people traveling. And they came back into the church with all manner of claim. And chief among them, as addressed in chapter 14, was a speaking, what we call in today, tongues. Speaking in tongues. That was one of them. So you put this into context, and you understand why Paul had to deal with that. And if you notice his statement, that God is not the author of confusion, because that was what was happening. They went to these adjoining areas like Athens and pick up all this gibberish and came back into the church with it and confusing people. And Paul said, uh-uh. The God that you worship is not the author of confusion. So I'm going to address this matter. 50 AD, 2014 AD, the problem of tongue speaking still going on. Challenges still going on in some churches. Then hear this one. Hear this one. Chapter 11. Verse 18. God, this is appalling, brethren. For people who have God's Holy Spirit leading them. It just goes to show how we need to lean on God at all times. 
Because when we are empowered with the Holy Spirit, the old man keeps dragging at us. And if we are not on our firm two feet, we start to behave like what's out there. First of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe. Paul said he partly believed that. Paul, Paul, um, Paul spent a great, great deal of time, three years I believe, praying earnestly because he was so concerned about the future of the church and what would happen when he left, or when he, when he died. All the false teachings and practices, would, the wolves would come in and so forth. So this was very dear to his heart. For there must be also hearsays among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone takes before other his own supper. So people were not even eating at home. They're carrying their food coming to the Passover, to the Lord's Supper service. You think that was bad? They came drunk. Some of them were drunk. In the body of Christ? Yes. In the body of Christ. Drunk. Drunk. And you can see here in verse 22 how Paul felt about that. What? What? One word, sentence, which shows his disgust with the behavior of the brethren in Corinth. What? Have you not houses to eat and drink in? Converted people. When we approach the Passover, we should go through these scriptures and we should really read them over and over in order not to make these kind of mistakes that Corinth made. They're in here for a reason, a good reason. Or despise you the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I praise you not. I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Took bread. In verse 28, we go down there. He says, Let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And so that is a frame of mind I want all of us to get into now. To discern this body of which symbolically we are going to partake when we eat that bread and we sip that cup. And yet in that message, 
we're saying to God, we're going to go and sin no more. In this context, we're saying, we don't want, him to, we don't want to fall in the trap at what happened at Corinth. And let's not pretend. I've seen with my own eyes in the body of Christ, someone came to the Passover drunk. Drunk. It happened in the body of Christ in the year 2012. In the body of Christ. I've seen it. So we may be here saying, oh, that's not going to happen to us. I don't think so. It, cannot. it has happened. I've seen it. We are all humans. I'm not here pretending that I'm some great man who don't sin. All of us sin. But we have all fallen short. And God is a God of holiness. He wants us to be holy too. He looks at our attitude. That is what Paul is addressing in verse 28. We examine ourselves. Make sure we have the right attitude. We are in the right frame of mind. Because we do not want to fall into what happened with the Corinthian church. Because it was, that church had great potential. If you think of a body, 200 people in a city of at least 100,000, in an age when Christianity is just like 20 odd years old. 20 odd years old, 200. They were doing well. But pride, self-righteousness, and ego were invading Corinthian brethren. Some were bragging about their close relationship with certain men. And that is still going on today. They consider these men superior to others. Think it's a new thing? I'm for Paul. I'm for Apollos. I'm for this. I'm for that. I'm not going to the feast unless this one going here because I like to hear him speak and I don't want to hear that one speak. It's going on today in the body of Christ. Paul addressed it. 1 Corinthians 4 8. For who regards you as a superior? And what do you have that you did not receive? But if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? In verse 8 he says, he employs a little sarcasm that goes on with Paul in some of his writings. He said, no, you are full. No, you are rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And I would to God that you would reign, that we might also be reigned with you. He did that for emphasis. Because these men, you know, we're, when we are egotistic and we are, we are full of pride and self-righteousness, we can't see the matter in our own eyes. Sometimes it's good to make belief. Make them believe what they're doing is right until something can show them exactly what their ways are. So Paul said, I wish you would reign. <laughs> we can't reign with you. For I think that God has set forth us, the apostles last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto men, the world, and to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ. That's how we should be our, 
that's how we should all be as brothers and sisters in Christ. Fools for Christ. Fools for Christ. For his sake. But you are wise in Christ, so you know better, yes. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honorable, but we are despised. We are despised. Yes, chapter, verse 11, chapter 4. This letter, when you read between the lines, you realize it's a harsh letter by Paul because of the way he felt. But he had to, to address these problems head on. Head on. Even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place. They were just roaming, going around here today, here one night, another place, another night for the sake of of Christ and we labor working with our own hands being reviled we bless being persecuted we suffer being defamed we entreat we are made as the filth of the world and are and are the offscoring of all things unto this day I write not these things to shame you but as my beloved sons I warn you I chastise you because you know the good thing, brethren. After Paul goes through all of this, all of these strong words, he finishes off the chapter in 1 Corinthians 15 with a great hope, the resurrection. He kind of, you know, said, let me end on a good note. Let me give you some facts. Despite all the troubles you're going through, what is going to happen? He was very skillful. Although we know he was under the influence of the Holy Spirit. But this was the body that we call a true church, not a false church. So when he talks about examining ourselves. In, in um, chapter 11, that we should examine ourselves, get ourselves in this right frame of mind of, of submission and humility before God as we take those emblems of wine and unleavened bread. Because He is the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And when he talks about unworthily, all it means here, a, a, a heart that is not repentant, a puffed up heart. So that's why in chapter 5, 7, he talks about being puffed up and getting out the old leaven, an unrepentant heart, a, a spirit of bitterness against one another, not showing the love. Because you know what? First Corinthians is the love chapter, the, the love, love chapter 2 in, in, in um, um, I think 13. He talks about love, that we should have love for one another. So you go through the book there, he encompasses just so many different aspects to address the problem at Corinth. And all of us in the Church of God should look at First Corinthians as a book 
for the church today. Because it's nothing new. It's all repeating. It's a repetition of what happened in the first century. It's coming right. You have some time, you go back and you read some of this stuff that Paul had to address. And you see it in the body today. It's here. So have we learned from Corinth what went on that we are apt to repeat the, 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 the errors of the past if we are not careful in doing so but apart from Paul even our Lord and Savior he delivered a lot of sermons if you want to call that call it that in the New Testament which gives us guides Guidelines on how to deal with some issues that we face in the church. John 6. And they're there once more for us. Difficult times that we live in. And no one can deny the difficult times that we all live in. Both outside the church and inside the church. Because the church has not escaped. All the social issues out there. At one point or another, the church has to deal with some of them. Because we're not all living in this room. We have to interact. We fall under certain laws out there. But we know God's law stands above what is out there. In John 6 verse 32, Jesus Christ himself said, Truly, truly, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. And that is our focus. The true bread from heaven. He's all. He's just everything for us. The unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. There is no other truth but his word. For the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He gives life to, to the world by his death, by that body which we must discern as we approach and as we take the Passover. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. They recognized, they got the message. They got the message, give us this bread. I really hope they did. And I really hope we do. Give us this bread. We want to eat this bread. We want to live. Because we should not, we, man, humanity cannot live by bread alone. We need the spiritual bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. I want to tell the world. I want to tell all of those charading on TV and in the movies and all the, the thinkers who want to solve crime and violence and the economy, economic problems, the cultural problems, the political problems, the social problems. I want to tell them that this bread of life has the answer for you. He has it. And he has offered it to you. Take it. Take it. This is my body. 
He that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believes in me shall never thirst. We're in a thirsty world. You know when you're, you're really thirsty? When a three-quarter day pass and you haven't had any water? And the day is hot, sweltering heat? And you grab a bottle and you do like this and you just relish the trickle down your throat and you, you know it feels so good? That is how we should all thirst for our God at all times. Because the, the water that is out there cannot quench our thirst. We drink until we get thirsty. The world drinks. It has all its pleasures that, it, that is out there and it still wants more pleasure. It still wants more pleasure. And all those men who have reached the pinnacle of their lives in terms of, of resources, financial and otherwise, still not happy. They're still thirsty people. Still thirsty people. Jesus, the Christ, the anointed said, He that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believes on me shall never thirst. This is a sermon to them at that time. But I said unto you that you also have seen me and you believe not. <laughs> and that the Father gives me, that, and all that the Father gives me shall come to me. And him that comes to me, I will in no wise cast away. No wise. He's not going to turn away anyone. Imagine that. Imagine that. If Hitler was alive and God called him today, he would not turn him away. He would not turn him away. All the modern dictators and the, the modern um, tyrants of today, going all, uh, committing all kinds of atrocities against people, God's creation. If God calls and they answer, he will not turn them away. That is how merciful he is. How merciful. He said, I will no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise up again at the last day. And he's going to do it. He's going to do it. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which sees the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up the last day. The last day. That is his promise, and it's going to be done. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. He keeps saying it. He wants to get it in their psyche that, listen, there's no other. There's no other God. I know of no other one. I am the only one. If I'm omniscient, then I know everything. I know of no other one. So I am that bread. Come. Come to me. Knock, and I will open. What a great God we worship who knows everything, who knows of no other God. And we have to believe that. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness, and guess what? They eat bread in the wilderness, they're still thirsty. They were still thirsty. 
On the Sabbath, even on the Sabbath day, they went out looking for bread. They were so thirsty and hungry. But they are dead. They are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. Brethren, it's a relief for you and I that we are partaking of that bread on the night of April 13. Because it's telling us that we are not condemned people. We have an advocate with the Father. And we worship a God who says he knows of no other one. And a God who says we eat of this body. Symbolically of course. And we are going to be with him someday when the trumpet shall sound. We are going to be with him. Reigning with him in his kingdom forever. I am the living bread. Which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread which I will give is my flesh, which I will give you for the life of the world. Life of the world. But unfortunately, the Jews and some of the onlookers even the disciples failed to grasp the significance of this statement because one reason or another they were more looking at the physical he was talking about what he had to do in order to redeem the sins of humanity so when the Jews questioned him of course they were ready to reject those statements because they knew the Torah, I know. They, they, they were experts. When, it, when he told them about drinking his blood and eating, they said, what is this crazy man talking about? They knew the Torah. Leviticus 17, Deuteronomy 12, 15. It, it tells them not to drink blood. And they knew the Torah. The Torah says, do not drink blood, it's forbidden. And this man coming to tell me I must drink his blood? Naturally, they would reject him and say, no, this could never be the Messiah. But they were thinking so physical. So physical. I am the living bread. And in me is life. Matthew 26, 6 puts us in a kind of frame of mind of the humility all of us should approach the Passover with. The right attitude toward God to know that our priority, He's our priority in, in our life. We put Him above everything else. Let's go into this story. In Matthew 26, verse 6. We can pick up verse 6. Now when Jesus was in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment, and poured it on his head, as he sat at meat, 
But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble you, this woman? For she has wrought a good work upon me. For you have the poor always with you. But me, you have not always. For in that she has poured out this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Now, you have the onlookers there. And you know, maybe some of us, even myself, would have reacted that way. You know what the alabaster oil is? It's a very expensive oil. It was imported, preserved for years with all these special um, herbs and, and all of that. In this enclosure here we're in, when, when she pop, if someone should pop that bottle open, the scent, the, uh, the, the aroma that would fill this room smells so good because it's well preserved. Very expensive. And you're talking about the time of Jesus. And here is this man, and some doubted who he was, that he was son of God, come and sit down and the woman take this expensive oil and start wash his feet. It's not like, you, you know, you touch up your, your cheeks and make it smell good. But his feet, so they were outraged. So look at this. You could sell it, get money and, and give it to the poor. Jesus said, uh-uh. It's much deeper than that. He was looking at the, the woman's attitude. She was doing it for my burial. What is that telling us? You know the significance of that? My burial. My body. That's going to go down there. She was discerning that body. That was going to go through all kind of trauma with spears sticking spears sticking in it and, and, and it's beaten and bruised and battered and that blood was going to pour from it and just whoop, into the dust the blood of life blood of a human being, yes so Jesus saw much more than further than that he was looking at her attitude. It's an attitude thing. Yes, the oil was expensive. Christ, and you know, looking at it from logical, it would make, it make some kind of sense. Yes, the oil expensive. There are a lot of poor people around. Why not sell the oil and buy food, give the poor? But guess what? Tomorrow they're hungry again. So, Christ's reasoning was much deeper than how they were thinking and that is how we should think for Christ when we talk about discerning his body make sure we are in that right frame of mind to honor the Passover lamb slain for the sins of the world there's a parallel in John 12 with Lazarus when he, when he was dead, raised from the dead which was no ordinary event either John 12, 1, then Jesus said, then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus, 
was which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. But then they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table. And the same thing basically repeats. So you can use that, you can go through it when you have some more time. But this is a great lesson in humility and attitude toward God. We have to place our faith, brethren, on the solid rock, which we are told is none other than Jesus Christ. The rock which followed them throughout the desert, throughout the wilderness journey, yes, that spiritual rock that followed them was Christ. First Corinthians 10. And we know the test that, that they went through there. But verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that, that with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Don't repeat the errors of the past or of our forefathers. Neither be idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and Three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured. They were destroyed. Yes. Now all these things happen unto them for examples. What I've been going through all morning. Examples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Brethren, I plead and I beg. Wherefore, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. They are here to educate us. Not to emulate. For us to emulate. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. To bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Paul again. Once he chastises, he gives the admonition. Free yourself from idolatry in the church. Don't talk about you're with this man and this is my, my guy, you know. I love to hear him speak, so I'm going to listen to him. Come on. I was baptized by this guy. I'm for this guy. Flee from idolatry because that is idolatry. I speak as to the wise men. Judge you what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, it is not the communion of the blood of Christ. The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? 
For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. All partakers of that one bread. You cannot, verse 21, drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do, not, do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Are we stronger than he? Brethren, we all, in our humility, need the mind of Jesus Christ. Times are tough, spiritually, physically. Times are tough. The body of Christ is going to come under severe challenges, and it is happening already. We will be tested. Someone who is sitting right beside you now may not be here next week, next year. Brethren, you're close to in the body. One day probably you're going to hear, oh, he's gone right back into the world. And that has happened in the body. I've known people who have left the body of Christ and are now agnostic. Agnostic. So we have to put on that mind of Christ. Philippians 2.5 We have to put on this. Let this mind be in you which also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no repetition and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. In the likeness of men. Chapter 3 verse 8 Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ my Lord, whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung. That's the attitude we need. Dung. He give up all of this. Paul give up all of this and he count them just dung. That I may win Christ. That I may win Christ. And be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God. That, or rather by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. So here he started talking about the resurrection or hope. And the resurrection is only made possible by what was accomplished. Calgary and our rise to life is made possible by the resurrection it's a whole package Colossians 3 Colossians 3 verse 5 mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth fornication and cleanliness inordinate affection evil concupiscence and Coviciousness, 
concupiscence and of covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. The wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. In which you also walked sometime when you lived in them. But now you also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. Verse 13, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also you do. Do not take them to court. It's not advisable in the body of Christ. Above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfectness. bond of perfectness. In the city of Corinth, they had a game that rivaled the Olympics. The Isthmus Games. It was a big, big event. And Paul being the, so tactful and being so skillful in his writing, he even talked about it in his letter, indirectly. Because in, in 1 Corinthians 9.24 he asks, do you not know that all these runners in a stadium complete, compete? Yeah. So he, 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 he um, bringing a, so, a, a local situation to even address the problems. But only one receives the prize. So run to win. We are in this game to win. We can't pretend as some do. One save always saves, so we don't have to do anything. No matter what you do, you save. Nonsense. Run to win. That's what we are in it for. Each competitor must be exercise self-control in everything. In everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown. You know, run into this game, these games, to receive a perishable crown. But we, an imperishable one. So I do not run uncertainly or box like one who hits only the air. Instead, I subdue my body and make it my slave. So after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Brethren, we have a high priest. We have a high priest who is still alive. King of righteousness of the order of Melchizedek. The worthy one, the king of all kings. He's the one who has delivered, who now stands on the right hand of his father, ready to descend to planet earth because his mission has been accomplished. So we here, we toil. Each Passover that goes by, we prepare for his return. And we look forward to that time when we will be with him forever. Second Timothy 4, 7. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. We want to be able to say that. You have kept the faith. 
Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them also that love his appearance. Do thy diligence to come shortly to me. To me. Hebrews 6, 14, 12. We cannot afford to crucify Christ all over again. We have been enlightened we, have, we are all partakers for the time being of this heavenly gift that is coming. We have put down our down payment. We have invested in that. Hebrews 6, 4, it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have taken, tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, to come if they shall fall away to renew them once again to repentance. Seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to open shame. We are not, or we should not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Not be ashamed by our action. We should not, rather, we should not embarrass him by our actions. Crucify him all over again Hebrews 9 7 but into the second went the high priest alone once every year not without blood which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people the Holy Spirit this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was yet standing which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect every year the priest had to go up to offer these sacrifices which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect. So if Christ didn't come, it still be going on. Verse 10 says, or verse 11 said, But Christ being come, an high priest of good things, to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and bulls and calves, but by his own blood he entered into one, into the holy place, having obtained internal redemption for us. That's why we are having the Passover. That's why we are going to come and sip of the cup as we discern his body. We eat the unleavened bread. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the true and living God? It is this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. 
Brethren, if we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for our sins. Hebrews 11:26. This is our day of salvation. Or rather, Hebrews 10:26. This is our day of salvation. There is no other day. Brethren, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We have fallen into the hands of living God, but we don't have that fear. We have reverence. We have reverence. Because He is the Holy One of Israel. We too have to walk in the newness of life embracing holiness just like just like he is and will always be will always be so brethren as I wind down we get ourselves ready bearing in mind that as Paul chastised the Corinthian church I said, I don't want to think I want to praise you in one instant. But at the same time, he, towards the end of the book, he gave them great hope of the resurrection. Because there were some questions too being asked. Because people were baptizing the dead. That was going on too. So we had to address that in chapter 15. But he, ex, he um, extolled the virtues of being in Christ to the end in order to claim victory. To claim victory. Chapter 15, chapter 15 verse 57, he says, Thanks be to God which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be you steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain. And that is what I want to leave with you with today as well, from Paul, telling you to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And I... As I normally go through the Passover each year, there's one very inspiring text in Mark that I always try to reflect on because it's a great text. Mark 14:25. Jesus himself said, Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This is something he's looking forward to. And I believe all of us should put ourselves in that frame of mind to think of that time. When we're not going to even have, we're not only going to have the Passover with our brethren that we love and cherish and see each week and each time, but we're going to have it with the King of Righteousness. King of all kings. The world does not see the virtues of the Passover. 
the value of the Passover because it has been clouded by all this pagan philosophy. But when you come to the realization of what it is that God gave his only begotten son and today we are here all physical we can go at any time but if we do go we are going to rise to a world unknown because our minds cannot fathom what it's going to be we can say yes it's going to be this and that but we are too limited to ever think of that but there's come coming a time when we won't have this Passover with the brethren anymore we are going to have it with our high priest our high priest our Lord and our Savior. So as we go forward in the coming weeks, think about that body that went down to this to the earth in the manner in which it did. But then he rose triumphantly. And he's now standing on the right hand of his father. And brethren the countdown, I think, has started. And we know it's just a matter of time before the trumpet shall sound. Whether we are alive or we are dead, doesn't matter. Because we know one day we're going to rise to meet him in the air. And so we shall ever be with him as we proceed to the new Jerusalem. So may God bless you and you have a wonderful Passover until we meet again. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.